0: Hope has come. And this has just been a uh, fulfilling Advent series for me and my family as we wait and uh, hope for the coming Christ, which we'll celebrate this Wednesday. Let me open in prayer as we begin this sermon. Father God, we uh, come into these moments, and thank you so much for just uh, having time and space to worship and to quiet our hearts and to... Uh, be open to your leading and, and guidance in our lives. And God, as a people, we, we gather here together. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would teach us and that you just uh, have freedom in this room uh, to do whatever you need to do. Uh, no matter our, uh, where we come from, our background, our baggage that we bring into this room here this morning, I just pray that we would feel safe and that we'd, be, we'd feel free uh, to be open to um, the work of God in Jesus' name, we pray. Everybody said. Well, this past week uh, we had free uh, preschool classes from uh, the preschool that that uh, leads here, called Bright Beginnings, and I had the extreme privilege to uh, tell the Christmas story to these bright-eyed. Bushy tailed four and five year olds and it was so cute. They're up here on the stage on these stairs here and you know, the boys have their bow ties on or their ties and the girls had these pretty dresses on. And I was just telling the story, and it was right after they, they sang this the song Snowflake, Snowflake, and it was just so precious and tender. And I came up and told the Christmas story and I couldn't help think as as I was reading the Christmas story to them what I was really doing for them is is help them understand who Jesus is. And for their little 4-year-old, 5-year-old minds, it was this precious little baby in a manger. In fact, as I was reading the Christmas story, they were walking over to the manger and laying like a star in the manger. It's so cute. And that's a question that a lot of us have is is, is who is Jesus? And the Bible seeks over and over through the Old Testament and New Testament to answer that question for us. And we've been striving to answer that question um, in this Advent series together as a church community. And if you have a Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Because in John's Gospel, as we've been walking through together, John is is trying to answer that question for us. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Okay, he's he's a baby in a manger and, and we'll... Uh, celebrate that on Wednesday with, with Christmas Eve, but what else? And, and John seeks to write and describe and bring in uh, some texture to that, that, the answer to that question. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 9. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the slide behind me. Life itself was in him, and this life gives light to everyone. The light shines through the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. Skipping down to verse 9. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So right away, in the opening words of John's gospel is is that question, who is Jesus? John says, he is the true light. Of all the different lights that may be out there, Jesus is the true light. And then later on in chapter 8, verse 12, as we looked at last week, Jesus himself says this. I am the light of the world. So he reveals himself. He defines himself. If you think about the way you kind of introduce yourself to other people, and, and Jesus introduces himself to us as, I am the light of the world. That's who I am. And last week, just a little bit of review, we kind of broke down what that light really means. What does that mean when Jesus says he is the light of the world? Well, first of all, it means he's a shining light. He shines his light into our lives to expose the dirt, the muck, the sin, the stuff of our lives, not as a way to condemn us or to shame us, but as a way to say, here's the stuff, you need to to ask for forgiveness for this and get back on track to live the life that you're meant to live. He doesn't judge us and condemn us to kind of freeze us or paralyze us in that, His light shines to us to expose those areas as a way to say, come on, get back on track. Get back on track with this life that that you were meant to live. So it's a shining light. But also it's a searching light. As we're lost, as we're confused, as we're distant, as we drift away from God, the light of Christ over and over again searches us out not based on your efforts, not based on the latest good thing that you've done, but simply searches you out because God is head over heels in love with you. And he never gives up. He never gives up. He's a shining light, he's a searching light, but also he's a saving light. Not only does he search for us, but he saves us when we're lost. Through his life, through the shedding of his blood, the giving of his life, is that we can come into a saving relationship so that light saves us, it rescues us, it brings us home. I think as we ponder this and and think about the fact that Jesus Christ is the light and and it's magnificent and it's amazing, uh, but it doesn't stop there. It could stop there. God's plan could have simply been Jesus Christ is the light of the world and isn't that great? And, and we all kind of look at that and gaze upon it and, and, and it's tremendous and, and it, it's awe-inspiring and that could have been it. That could have been the end of the story of God and, but it, it isn't. There's much more than that but I think for a lot of us we, we, we come into this time of season and we kind of admire the light of Christ as if it's a painting, as if it's a, an exhibit or a display I love going to art, art museums. Really enjoy seeing art. And this time of year, I just kind of have this sort of American uh, sentimentalism that, when it comes to Christmas time, I love the the Rockwell art and his cover uh, paintings of the Saturday Evening Post. and And he has this one painting that, in particular, that I like of Santa Claus. And if we can pull that up right there, and Rockwell just kind of captures this, this sort of American spirit when it comes to Christmas time. And we look at a painting like that, and it's so realistic. We see the vibrant red in that, in that picture, in the contrast with that brown background, and he's kind of charting his map, if you can, can see it closely. He's charting uh, where he's going in the world to give uh, gifts to all the kids that were good, and all that kind of stuff. And, and as we look at a painting like this, we kind of, you know, look upon it and gaze upon it. And, and, and the, the Rockwell paintings actually go on tour across the country. I don't know if you know that or not, but... A few years ago, they actually came into Winona to show off some of the paintings of Rockwell. And and that's a great thing. We can look at that art and we can notice the vibrant colors and the rich texture in his paintings. But that's it. It's not like we can kind of like bring it into our life. You know, perhaps we could buy one. Uh, Perhaps we could put it on display at, at our house. But again, it's still on display. The light of Jesus Christ is not meant to be on display, just on display. It's not meant to simply be just an exhibit. The life of Christ in Christianity um, isn't meant to, where we kind of step back and say, ah, isn't that spiritual? As if we look at the vibrant colors and the rich textures of Jesus Christ, and, and we just say, ah, oh, isn't, isn't that just so magical and, and just so spiritual? It gives us goosebumps just to think about the light of Christ. No, the plan of God, it doesn't stop there. The plan of God is that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, but then you and I, as followers, as, as people who, who have faith in Jesus Christ, would become the light of the world. It's as if those vibrant colors and rich textures enter into our lives through a faith relationship in Jesus Christ and that we join him in bringing out this light to the world. This is absolutely revolutionary thought. I'd like to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you're in John, it's to your left. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at a couple of passages Matthew 5 and also Ephesians 5. 5, verse 18. Excuse me, 14. Chapter 5, verse 14. Now, if you get anything from this sermon, hang on to this one. You are what? The light of the world. You are the light of the world. That is a profound thought. You are the light of the world, like a city on a mountain, glowing in the night for all to see. The light of Christ, the shining, searching, saving light, simply doesn't just stay with him, but actually as followers of Christ, it enters into our lives so that we can kind of give illumination to the world. We join in shining this light to the world. It's wonderful. It's amazing as we think about that. And then turning over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. Let's go to verse 8. And Paul kind of picks up this sort of theme of the fact that as followers, as the people of God, is that our lives are like light bulbs. Our our lives are like lights. They shine up. And in chapter 5, verse 8, Paul writes this, For though your hearts were full of once of darkness, now you are full of light from the Lord. What a beautiful verse. We are the light of the world. You and me, we are the light of the world. And when we go back to the Old Testament, for example, we see the same sort of kind of pattern, where God is light, and then his, his people, the Israelites, would become the light for all nations. So it's this pattern, kind of like a one-two. God is light. Yahweh, God is light. But that his people, the Israelites, would become light. In fact, when they're in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, in the movie Exodus, Gods and Kings, Christian Baal portrays Moses. And God comes to Moses and he says to Moses, I'm going to free my people and you're going to lead them. You're going to lead them out of the slavery and I'm going to free my people. And it's for this purpose— so that they would become the light of the world. It's not liberation for liberation's sake, and that's a good thing by itself. But he liberates the Israelites so that they would become a light to the nations, a light to the world. And you're going to have a a passage up here, Isaiah chapter 60. You don't have to uh, uh, turn to it. I'm just going to read this for you. Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all the nations to see. Darkness as black as night will cover the nations and the earth. But the glory of the Lord will shine over you. The glory of the Lord will shine over you. The light of the Lord will shine over you, and you will be a light to the nations. In other words, they were to live their lives in a certain way. They were to align their lives in a certain way so that this light of God would shine in and through their lives and that the neighboring nations would actually sit up and take notice Snip and take notice and, and see that there's something different about these Israelites. There's something different about the way they live. And that these neighboring nations would be attracted to it. It, it, was, it was like the Israelites were, were meant to live this sort of missional living, to actually be a mission to the world, to be a light to the nations. It's just absolutely Beautiful. And then we go to the New Testament, and as we saw in Matthew 5 and Ephesians 5, the same pattern is repeated, isn't it? Jesus is the light of the world, and his followers, God's people, become the light of the world. Do you see that? It's a sort of one-two. Jesus is the light of the world. You and me are the light of the world. It's a sort of one-two, and it carries throughout the story of God this sort of two steps. And when I was, uh, when I was a little boy, um, I spent a lot of summers at my grandma Case's house in Minneapolis. And my grandma was just, a, just an amazing grandma. And she would do everything. She'd play baseball with me. She'd play tennis, cards, teach me the piano. We'd go to movies together. And she had 30 grandchildren. And it's like all of us had this sort of Amazing singular experience experience with her. She just gave so much time to us. And I remember as a young boy, my grandma telling me we were in the kitchen. It was a sum, uh, summer morning, and she was telling me that you know, Craig, as you get older, I think I was like 11 years old or something. When you get older, you're gonna have to dance with a girl. That freaked me out. It's like what? She's like, no, you're gonna have to know how to slow dance, okay? And she said, get up. So my grandma case took my hand. And she said, I'm just going to show you how to slow dance, just just with a couple of steps, with two steps. Kind of like this. You know, very sophisticated. I know a lot of you are taking notes right now. But this is my grandma. So 11-year-old boy dancing with his grandma case in the kitchen, and she's showing me these dance steps. And as we think about the story of God and the plan of God, it's the same sort of thing. It's like these two steps, isn't it? Jesus is the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. You are the light of the world. It's like this dance that we find over and over in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this dance of God, that we're to join him in that as the light of the world. And I think the first part we can accept, okay, Jesus is the light of the world. That was last week's sermon. I believe that. But, But to really consider and to contemplate that second part, that I am the light of the world, I think elicits a couple responses on our behalf. I think the first response that we have is we think, you know what, that we can make the light on our own. That with enough good deeds and with enough good actions, if we follow the rules, you know, if we follow the Ten Commandments, or if we, if we just follow the rules that seems to be in Christianity, then, then this light that we might have in our lives can, can kind of come through and shine through our lives. If, just if we do the right things. I think some of us have that response that we can manufacture the light. But if you believe that, and if I believe that, we're being duped, we're being fooled. Fundamentally, we must realize over and over again that any light that happens in our lives comes through the work of Christ. But I think we fall into that thinking that we make the light happen. I just love this quote by Tolstoy, the great writer. He said this, Someone who thinks that because they follow all the external religious rules they have, this light of Christ is like someone standing next to a lamppost. The light shines around him, but there is nowhere further for him or her to walk. On the other hand, the person that follows Christ and says, who me, is like the person carrying a flashlight before him or her. They realize that the light comes from Christ. It's not manufactured. They're not the source of the light. Letting up fresh ground with the encouragement to walk farther ahead. And when we give into that lie, this falsehood that we can actually manufacture that light, that we can generate that light in our lives by simply following some rules, by simply doing the right things, we fall into that. If you have a Bible I'd like to invite you to turn to Second Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to look at um, one more passage here because Paul reminds us where this light comes from. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7. And we'll camp on this verse the rest of the sermon. But this precious treasure, this light and power that now shines within us is held in perishable containers. The other word for this is jars of clay. Jars of clay, that is, in our weak bodies so everyone can see that our glorious power is from God and is not from our own. This glorious power, in other words, this light, is from God and not from our own. You may want to underline that in your Bible. That is a key thought here. The light comes from Christ. We do not generate the power based on the right actions or following the right rules. Uh, The light that shines in our life, this one two-step, comes from the light of Christ shining in and through us as we make ourselves available to, to Christ. Um, During this time of season, I I love going for walks at night with my uh, nine-year-old Springer Spaniel named Macy. And we walk around our neighborhood, and, and one of my favorite things is to look at all the Christmas lights. To look at all the Christmas lights in our neighborhood, as you see that picture right there. And as we're walking at night, you know, and she wants to go fast. She's kind of pulling me and jerking me and yanking my arm out of my arm socket. I want to slow down and just kind of take in these lights, these beautiful lights, this time of year these brilliant incandescent lights, these reds and blues and whites and purples and greens. And just walking around the neighborhood, just taking in these lights, it's just absolutely beautiful. And as I was thinking about this sermon and walking last night and looking at the Christmas lights in, in, in our neighborhood, as Macy was smelling the, the scent of a rabbit, but I yanked her back. We had to look at the Christmas lights, Macy. Um, I couldn't help think about you know, these lights are beautiful, but if they're not plugged into a power source, it's futile. It's a waste of time. I was thinking about my neighbors putting all the effort, you know, arranging the lights on their, their roof and, and arranging the lights on the, the windows and their house and in the yard with these beautiful designs, with these glorious lights. It, if they're not plugged into some kind of energy source, it's futile. They have to be plugged in. If they're not plugged in, it'd be very hard for me to see anything at all. In fact, I might be able to tell, tell you know, what the lights are, but the design and the color, so much of it would be, so, would be missed. And that's what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 4-7, is that the light that shines in our life, when Jesus says in Matthew 5-14 that we are the light of the world, is that we have to be plugged in. We have to be plugged into an energy source, a power source. We have to be plugged in. The light that shines through our lives, what Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seven, comes from the light of Christ. I was going to make a joke about how many pastors it takes to screw in a light bulb, but, but that's what Paul's saying here in Second Corinthians four seven. This light that shines in our life, it, the goodness. The different things that happen in our life, the light shines. We make a difference in this world. What Paul says in 2 Corinthians is that that light is only made available and possible by a power source, Jesus Christ. He's the one that makes it possible, this light, this light of Christ. And I think the other response that we have, besides the fact of us thinking that we generate the light on our own, I think another possible uh, response that we have is, who me? Do, do you know my story? Who me? You've got to be kidding me. It, it's almost like we come to this, this phrase, you are the light of the world, and we're thinking that it means somebody else, you know, somebody who's more religious and, and has their, their stuff together. That, that, that verse really can't apply to me because, you know, I have this stuff. I got, I got this past. I got this sin in my life right now. And, and there's no way that Jesus really means me as the, the light of the world. It's almost like we kind of point to ourselves and say, me? Are you kidding me? I mean, imagine if you were to go on Facebook and if you were to post that on your, your Facebook status is that I am the light of the world. What kind of response would you get from friends and family? You know, probably, probably some sarcastic ones. If there was a dislike button, they would probably, some, some people would click that, right? Yeah, because it's just so bold. We have a hard time getting our arms around that. Uh, speaking of social media, I like on, on Instagram, on Thursdays, uh, they have this thing, this hashtag, TBT. What does TBT stand for, students? Throwback Thursday. And throwback Thursday, people put up pictures of the past and different pictures of yesteryear. And I just love, on Thursday, seeing th- my different friends who do this. And here's a couple of pictures here on the screen. That's Leonardo DiCaprio and Toby Maguire. They're best friends in grade school bowling together, and one of them posted this on uh, Throwback Thursday. There's me and my brother Mitch, 1987, and uh, we're styling at my sister's wedding. So it's kind of a throwback Thursday. So if, if, since this is Sunday and not Thursday, I'm just going to kind of make this a throwback Sunday. When I was in high school around that same time, 1987, one of the hit films in high school uh, during that time, because that was the best decade ever, by the way, 1980s, you know, style style, and dress has never been the same. And, and hair, definitely hair. Um, but I remember in high school, the hit film, one of the hit films was Pretty in Pink. How many of you guys remember that film? Those in your 40s, yeah. Yeah, great soundtrack and, and just this really cool film. And in, in the film, part of the story is this, this guy named Ducky, portrayed by John Cryer, who's on this TV show uh, Two and a Half Men now. But Ducky is this guy. He doesn't fit in. He's just got this weird hair. He just doesn't fit in. But he is head over heels in love with this redhead uh, who, who, who likes to wear pink. She has a pink car, pretty in pink. And yet this girl likes, is infatuated with the rich guy who has a nice house and a nice car. And no matter what Ducky does, does everything possible to win the heart of this girl. Nothing works. So they go to prom together. Ducky and this girl, because they don't have a date. They go to prom together, and at the prom scene, she sees the rich guy, and then finally Ducky reconciles his feelings. He just says, okay, yeah, just go. Gives this blessing to her, you know, go with him. And she runs off, and we pick it up in this scene right here. love that okay fear pastor how do you make a spiritual application out of that clip right there <laughs> actually i was thinking about this point that scene came into my mind for some reason i don't know why but um but i think some of us it's not so much the response of okay you know if i do the right things if i do the right actions then then i can generate this light in in, in light of christ in my life i think the rest of us is like me moi moi you gotta be kidding me me, me as the light of the world and, and like Ducky we're kind of we're looking our, over our shoulder aren't we but, you know, this, this person maybe this person probably fits that their life you know, it seems like they have everything together or we think about that person and we can't believe that Jesus is saying that to us he's saying it to you this morning you are the light of the world exactly the way you are yes you got stuff in your life yes you got you got brokenness in your life but you are the light of the world. You need to hear that this morning and to accept that because Christianity isn't meant for perfect people. This light that has come into the world, this true light, isn't meant for the people that have everything together, where everything looks perfect on the outside. Marriage is perfect. The kids are perfect. Life is perfect. No. No. As it says in in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we are fragile jars of clay. Sometimes the light shines the best in your life through the cracks, through your weaknesses, through the brokenness in your life. Sometimes the light shines best in those areas where you have struggle and challenge where you say to yourself, I just can't fix this. I just can't, I can't get over this. What Paul is saying is as fragile jars of clay, that's when the light shines the best in our lives. So I think for, for us, the community of Maple Grove Covenant Church, what we want to do as, as a church, is where we come together on these Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and our, our community groups and we want to we wanna be a light bulb. And we want the light of Christ to shine through our lives and we realize it's not our power, it's His power. And that we're fragile and we have cracks, we have brokenness in our lives. But that is the plan of God and that sometimes is when the light shines the best. And I want to encourage you to bring your light to bear in this congregation. When you come here on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights or in your community groups, is actually to come and bring your light bulb, to bring your personality, to bring who you are to our church. Because we need you to be you. For the light to shine in this congregation, because I think, you know, for a lot of churches, that, that I know, there's a sense that there's like this level that we have to reach up to in order to really be the right church. Or perhaps there's a certain kind of personality that we need to have as a church really to fulfill what God wants for us. And it seems like it's this endless cycle that we're chasing after something. And I, I really believe, and I've been praying about this, this month, is that God wants Maple Grove Covenant Church to be Maple Grove Covenant Church. He wants you to be you. He wants Greg and Julie Johnson, when they come and are part of our congregation and their unique personalities and talents and gifts, for them to be themselves and nobody else. He wants Jeff and Peggy fast, when Jeff and Peggy and their kids come, for them to be themselves and not be anybody else because we need their unique light bulb. And for Ching and Heidi Hung, as they come and are part of our church, The light shines the best when we have Ching and Heidi being exactly who they are and not being anybody else. Join me as I pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. And God, we thank you for this teaching. And God, help us as a congregation to realize that you have called us for a certain purpose and for us to be ourselves. For the light of Christ to shine through exactly who we are and not anybody else. For each person that comes here, as they bring their light bulb, so to speak, to this church, their little light, we know that as we do that, being who we are, that together, collectively, the light of Christ will shine through this congregation to the city of Maple Grove, Osseo, and surrounding areas, and that your name will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. At this time, we're going to receive this morning's offering.